This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. President of the USW and Vice President of the AFL-CIO on this beautiful hot summer Monday, President Leo Girard. Hello, Leo. I've missed you. Welcome back. <laughs> Hi, Leslie. Glad to be on. It's been a but- busy summer. It's been a busy summer, but you know one thing that hasn't changed, Leo, and you know this because we're going to talk about it, and that is the disparity in wages, the gap between the rich and the poor, and the fact that so few make so much and have so much power and control over the income of the other, the 99%, uh, the, the American workers, the middle class, you and me. Yeah. Well, I look at it uh... The president took a, a minor step in the right direction last week or the week before I lose track of time. And now the corporate elites are crying like you wouldn't believe. You know, no money for this, no money for that. They always have money to find a raise for the boss from $8 million to $10 million or $10 million to $12 million. They always find big raises for the boss, but they can't seem to find anything for the workers. This is not, and and this is not just a union issue. This is not even just a political or campaign issue. This is a real economic issue. This is a problem that if it goes unchecked and and isn't dealt with, just like health care, if there isn't some type of reformation and change to the system, we are in, uh, we're in for very, very bad times economically. Look at the, uh, by every measure that you look at, the income inequality that is uh, rampant in this country is uh, is a economic cancer on the on the country. Uh, the president made, a, as I said, a minor move to have people that make a uh, little over fifty thousand dollars qualify for overtime, and the uh, corporate elite are crying poverty and crying this and crying that. Well, maybe they don't know, but with what the president did. That makes it about equal to what the overtime uh, cap was in 1975. And the corporate elite in 1975 weren't crying poor. And in those days, they were making maybe 20 or 30 times what the average worker made. And now they're up to three or 400 times, depending on the company, what the average worker in their company makes. So um, and if you measure by that way, just in real terms, with inflation, if you measure by productivity, we've seen productivity go through the roof while workers' wages are stagnant. Uh, you know, there's uh, 40 million people that uh, are going to be left behind if we don't do something. Yeah, a couple of things here, Leo. Yesterday, um, my my husband likes to do these urban walks because you know I live in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, we went to this place in Los Angeles they didn't know existed. And what they did is they had murals that were painted by inner city families, not just kids, from approximately 20,000 B.C. They kind of guessed what L.A. would look like then to present. And there was – knowing you would be on today – I saw this, but I said i got to mention this to Leo, and it was awesome that, you know, you have this on today so I didn't have to send you an email. But they had – one of the murals was workers – 
crying out, we can't live on 5 to $8 a week. And this was yeah. back in the 30s. And I say that because if you think we're in 2015 and we're still holding up signs, just the numbers have changed. The numbers in the year and the numbers in the dollar amount. It's still the same cry. It's still the same battle. That, uh, and, and look, let me digress for a minute. It's not just in America. This is happening all over the world. And, and I remember uh, during the NAFTA fight, I would say something like this. What will happen with NAFTA is the rich in rich countries will get richer and the poor in poor countries will get poor in, in our country will get poorer. When you go to the poor countries, the rich will get richer and the poor will get poorer. So if you look at what's happened in our trade agreements, in none of those trade agreements have workers benefited in, on either side of the agreement. Whose benefit are benefited are the multinational corporations and multinational finance, and they sing the same tune. We see what's going on in Greece now, uh, where they imposed austerity on the Greek economy and only made it worse. And now, because the Greek people are saying we don't want to take it anymore, there's a huge debate. The same things happen in Portugal. The same things happen in Spain. Same things happen in Ireland. Same things happen in Great Britain. And if it wasn't for President Obama, the same thing would have been happening here. I have lots of reason to be disagreeing with him lately on trade. But if he wouldn't have fought for the kinds of things he's fought for um, since he got elected, including the stimulus package, we'd have been going the same way. As bad as it is now, it would have been worse. When you look at the fact that profits have grown, as you mentioned, and there's an increase, huge increase in productivity, and even the pay for the CEOs has skyrocketed, and the, the fact that the workers' wages have been stagnant, isn't that part of the oppressive game these CEOs and these one percenters play? Because if you make more money, whether it's a higher minimum wage or being paid beyond the standard 40-hour work week, when you work hours beyond that standard 40-hour work week and overtime or both, uh, you have more power in consumerism. And if you have more power as a consumer, you have power to reduce that productivity level or increase it depending on a company and how it treats its workers. Well, sure. Look at uh, – if you look at what's – you know, again, you got you got to just choose the measures, and then ask where's the fairness, where's the equity. If you choose the measure of the minimum wage, if we if the minimum wage would have been tied to inflation, which just simply means you get a standstill, you don't you're not making progress, you're going to stand still. The minimum wage would be depending on which economist you accept, somewhere between seventeen and nineteen dollars an hour. Uh, we wouldn't be at ten dollars and asking for fifteen over four years. We'd already be at 17 or $18 an hour. If you look at it on the productivity scale, productivity has gone up, if my memory's right, something like uh, 300 and something percent, while workers' wages have been flat. Corporate profits in 2013, Leslie, think about this. Corporate profits were at the highest that they've been as a percentage of GDP in 85 years. And it's BS who owns the stock. 90% of the stock are owned by the top 10%. So when they say, well, it's a, you know, it's a sort of democratizing the stock market, that's BS. 
the average worker's got less than $5,000 in her 401k or some kind of uh, mutual fund. For people that were out last week, Leo, and celebrating uh, the fourth Ron vacation, a lot of folks were last week. Uh, last week, while a lot of people were vacationing, the president addressed uh, the very problem we're talking about by proposing to set the salary threshold under which employers would have to pay overtime to salaried workers at 50440 a year. That's about double the current level, correct? Yep. Yeah. And, and – uh... The thing is, on on, the, on what the president has uh, targeted of raising that to, in fact, if I if my memory's right, it's fifty thousand four hundred dollars or something like that. If if you extrapolate that to the rate of inflation, it would be the exact uh, position that we had in 1975. So in 1975, the fifty thousand four hundred dollars is equal to 1975. Um, when that was the number, so that that's a again a fallacy, uh, and and when they cry when they cry about uh, it can't be done. Well, look at it was originally done in 1938 as part of the economic recovery with um, FDR. You know, so I mean the, the, these crocodile tears, this outright just unbelievable amount of greed. You know, I can. I always can remember Ted Kennedy in the well of the Senate saying, yelling and screaming, "When is enough enough? When will you understand?" You know, we need it. We need Ted Kennedy. Okay, we'll take a quick break, uh, Leo. Very well said, and we'll be back talk more about this issue. You want to join us? Pick up the phone and do so. Many of you have questions about this. There are those of you out there that don't get paid for those numerous hours you put in for overtime. There are those of you that definitely are feeling the sting, despite us being out of the recession and the economy improving, feeling that sting of the economy still and angry. You know, when you when you see the boss get in his great car, I know the boss has an elevator for his car, especially if your boss is Mitt Romney and that kind of thing, and, and you just don't feel that trickle down. And it makes it harder for you. Yet you look at those spreadsheets or, you know, you're in those meetings and you hear about productivity. You hear about those profits, and you know none of them are coming into your wallet, your purse, your bank account. How does that make you feel, and how do you feel about the fact we're still having this conversation in 2015? I talked about times in the 30s during the Great Depression. Pick up the phone and join us. I'm Leslie Marshall. He is Leo Gerard, president of the USW, vice president of the AFL-CIO. Follow him on Twitter, at USW Blogger. Pick up the phone and join us, 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. On Twitter, follow me there to tweet us. We'll incorporate your tweets as well throughout the hour, at Leslie Marshall. Back after this. Leslie Marshall, the simple truth in a complicated world. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE.
Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only True Democracy in Talk Radio. Leo Girard is president of the United Steelworkers. He's vice president for the AFL-CIO. And we are talking about the income and wealth disparity that continues to grow. Despite profits growing, productivity increasing, and CEO pay skyrocketing, workers' wages remain stagnant. Now, we know there's been increased in minimum wage, and we know that the president addressed this problem. He proposed to set the salary threshold under which employers would have to pay overtime to salaried workers at 50440 a year. That doubles the current level. We're taking your calls at 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Questions, comments, pick up the phone and join us. President Gerard is here to answer. We start out with Paul in Washington on Line 5. Paul, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Question or comment for President Gerard? Hi, Leslie, and uh, good afternoon uh, to you, Leo. I've heard you talk a number of times and haven't had a chance to talk with you. Uh, let me make a couple of points that I think I want to see what, what uh, Leo's reaction. Uh, no one has challenged Bernie Sanders when he says that 99% of the economic growth in this country goes to the top 1%. With that in mind, we have to look at one, uh, one thing. Other than economic growth, the economic system in this country is a zero-sum game. In other words, there's, there's, that's all the money there is. There's the economic growth, which is how it gets bigger, but all that's going to the top 1%. So all that's left over is what's in the pot. And so what that means is it's just from there, it's just a matter of distribution. And so over the last 35 years, the distribution has gone. The rich are getting richer because the poor are getting poorer. Because, again, it's a zero-sum game other than economic growth. And the economic growth is going to the top 1%. So the, over the last 35 years, the rich have gotten richer because the poor have gotten poorer. 21 of the last 34 years, the minimum wage was stagnant. From 1981 to 1991, it was at 335. From 1997 to 2007, it was at 515. Those are the periods of time when the rich were stealing the money of the poor. With regard to the minimum wage, if you believe in a minimum wage, you have to believe that it needs to be raised from time to time because it's not just a matter of liberty of contract between the employer and the employee. It's how that wage functions in society for, so that people not only have enough money to, to make a living to, to live on, but they contribute to society in paying taxes to, use, to pay for the schools and roads and things that they use. So if you believe in the minimum wage, you have to believe that it needs to be raised. And in 1968 terms, the dollar sixty in 1968 should be about 1750 now. If you don't believe in the minimum wage, here's what you do believe in. You believe in the period of time from approximately 1880 to 1938, which was known as the Gilded Age, where there was no minimum, that we were a wage-based society, there was no minimum wage, and a few people got, like Cornelius Vanderbilt and George Pullman and uh, John D. Rockefeller got stinking filthy rich, and most of the country got nothing and what happened to that in 1929? It didn't crash because of the minimum wage. It crashed on its own stinking greed. That's what happened to this country. That's the, that's the area you believe in, the Gilded Age from 1880 to, to approximately 1938. And that was also known as uh, the period of laissez-faire, where the government hands off. And in Supreme Court terms, it was known as the Lockdown Era, where the court ruled that any kind of regulation on labor was just unthinkable because that was just such a breach of liberty. In Dagenhart in 1916, the court ruled if, if we have laws preventing children from working, oh, that could lead to laws against all labor. It's ridiculous. Now we're in a second Gilded Age. Back to you. Leo. 
Well, that was a, that was a pretty good rendition. <laughs> that, uh, but it really made me think of uh, historically uh, when you get to the 1937, 38, and on. What we had with FDR was a progressive tax system that was implemented that uh, taxed extreme wealth at high numbers. We had the uh, growth of the labor movement and the growth of collective bargaining. We had uh, some regulation uh, so that we wouldn't have another economic collapse, and we went for 75 years almost until we had the deregulation of the financial markets uh, we had uh, kept it for some period of time the disgustingly gross uh, amount of money that the political system is marinated in. The political system in America is marinated in money. And uh, right now, the rich are buying their way. If you, all you need to do is watch the Republican, uh, as they call it now, the clown car, uh, all chasing their own billionaire. And they've got a billionaire that's going to bankroll them. And what are they bankrolling them about? Deregulation, let the banks do what they did. I mean, I've been involved, unfortunately, because of trade deals and bad policy. I've been involved in a number of bankruptcies of employers that we were privileged to represent. Most of them went bankrupt because of the economic system. Most of them went bankrupt because of unfair trade. And, and, but when they went bankrupt, their creditors ended up getting pennies on the dollar. All right, Leo, hold that thought. Hold that thought. We'll take a break. I want you to finish on the other side in response to Paul's question. When we come back, more calls and more on this issue of the disparity in wages, the income gap that we have in this country that badly needs to be closed. I'm Leslie Marshall. He is President Leo Gerard, President of the United Steelworkers, Vice President of the AFL-CIO. Follow him on Twitter at USW Blogger. Leslie Marshall. Real people. Real life. Real talk. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Marshall, and I'm host here at the Leslie Marshall Show, as you know. Listen, this is my show. It has my name on it. And what many of you don't know is I technically own the show. So this is my baby, and I don't like to tell you about things I don't really believe in or haven't tried myself. Uh, when a company called Super Beats reached out to me and said, would you be interested in advertising our product? I said, well, first, let me try it. And I did. And the reason I'm talking about it is it's awesome. Now, for those of you that listen to me on radio and you follow me on Twitter and Facebook and, you know, wherever else in the world, LinkedIn, you know I'm pretty busy, right? I do radio. I do TV. I write a blog for the Huffington Post. I've got two kids, a husband, and I still got to go to the, la- you know, go to the restroom, uh, do the laundry, uh, sleep, and uh, take time for me. And you know what? Sometimes I get tired. I'll admit it. I get tired. And I need something that helps not just my energy level and can increase my stamina, but something that helps my health. And that's what Super Beats does. Super Beats is a circulation superfood powder, and it actually helps support my heart 
and healthy blood pressure too. I have extremely low blood pressure and I'm sure the Super Beat is helping this. I have amazing energy and I have amazing stamina. My stamina has increased, no question, hands down. Now the New York Times likes it. They're calling Beats a fitness in a glass and that's really what it is. Super Beats gives you all the benefits. It doesn't have a bad taste. It doesn't have calories or added sugar. So for those of you watching that weight or the calories, it's good. And each canister of Super Beats gives me and it will give you 90 non-GMO beets that taste great. This is what I do. I mix it in a smoothie in in the morning. I don't get jitters from it because I can when I get you know too much coffee or caffeine or some of those prepackaged protein powders. Or you can just mix it in water. You will love its taste and you will love the results. You'll feel it seriously as soon as it goes to your bloodstream in as little as 20 minutes. I guarantee you will love it. And by the way, it's guaranteed that you love it or you won't pay. So here's what you do. You can get a bonus 30-day supply free with your first order, plus the book Beat the Odds Free and free shipping too. It's guaranteed or your money back. I feel confident offering this to you, my listeners, because I take it every day. Super Beats has made a huge change to my life. I have stamina, I have energy, I feel healthier. I know you will too. So call them today, 1-800-305-6011, free or go to LeslieLovesBeats.com. That's LeslieLovesBeats.com. That number again is 1-800-305-6011. Free. Again, that number is 1-800-305-6011. Free. Or log on to LeslieLovesBeats.com. That's LeslieLovesBeats.com. And we are back with President Leo Gerard, President of the a, the United Steelworkers almost made you uh, almost t- made you take Mr. Trumpka's position as well, Leo, and Vice President of the AFL-CIO. Uh, Leo, you were saying before the break, and sorry that I had interrupt you in response to Paul's uh, remarks uh, regarding what we're discussing. Uh, you know, with these issues of disparity in wages and income in America. Well, one of the things that that's driven this, if you go back, I was making the point that there was at least some some semblance of uh, ability to share in the productivity. Uh, share in the wage growth, um, share in, in how fair the tax system was, progressive tax system, uh, do those kind of things that came out of the uh, New Deal, Social Security, and then President Johnson with Medicare, Medicaid, f- the fight against poverty. There was, up until about the 1970s, uh, there, was, there was at least some method in, in a number of sectors of trying to bring about some equity. One of the things that happened is that when the, the system got marinated in money and you saw the deregulation, you saw the sustained attack on labor. I mean, just right now, you've got uh, Republicans trying to defund the National Labor Relations Board. What the hell's the point of that? You need a body to adjudicate uh, labor law. Exactly. And so now they're saying, well, we'll, we'll starve that, that, that uh, organization. And so what they've done is systematically weaken the ability of ordinary folks to have a voice in the system, weaken the ability of ordinary folks to be able to advocate, whether it's through collective bargaining, which, by the way, is one of the, the, the fairest ways of allocating resources, because you sit down and you negotiate with your employer institutionally, and you come to an agreement. I can guarantee you that there's not a CEO in the planet that doesn't have a contract with his board or her board. Um, but somehow workers shouldn't have that. Same thing with the growing minimum wage. 
just tie it to productivity. That doesn't mean workers are going to get miles ahead. Tie it to inflation. If you tie it to productivity, it'd be about 20 bucks. If you tie it to inflation, it's about 17, 50, 18 bucks, something like that. All those mechanisms, Leslie, have been weakened or destroyed by the political system that's marinated money. And we're now we're now seeing that we're going to have trade deals that, on, since this fast track has passed, that for the next six years, any trade agreement that's negotiated whether it's the trade agreement in services with China, whether it's what they call TTIP in Europe, when you see the catastrophe going on in Europe right now, and other trade deals that may be underway, they're not going to see the light of day. They're going to be voted up or down under fast track. And, and I can guarantee you, when you look at I mean, I could go on here forever. When you look at just one item, rules of origin, the rules of origin with NAFTA was 62.5%. That meant 62.5% had to be made in Mexico or Canada or the U.S. to be considered a, a national product that you could export within NAFTA. Well, they went to Australia and did a deal. They brought it to 50%. Then they went and did a deal with South Korea. They brought it to 35%. Now, if you've got 35% domestic content in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, I can guarantee you that those parts are going to come from Malaysia, they're going to come from Brunei, they're going to come from Vietnam, they're going to go into a, to vehicles in, in, in Japan, they're going to go into vehicles in Korea, they're going to go into vehicles in America, and they're, and they're going to have parts that are being come, um, made in, in, in those TPP countries now. That will drive down wages. That will tell us, and we have 350,000 of our members that make something that goes into an automobile. They'll be told they have to compete with Vietnam or compete with Malaysia that has slave labor. That'll put downward pressure again on wages. So the, the thing that we have to do is we have to get politically active. We have to get politically intense. We have to make sure that we counter the marinated and money politicians, and we need to go after them. We got Bernie Sanders. We got um, Sherrod Brown. We got Elizabeth Warren. We got a lot of people, friends and allies in the Senate that understand the system and could be good allies to take it on. <clears throat> We're going to take some more calls. 8886 Leslie Wayne in New Mexico, oh, line oh, two. Me. Wayne, good afternoon. Question or comment for President Gerard. Uh, hello, Leslie. Hello, President Gerard. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a former AFL-CIO member. I was in the union for 15 years, but I come at it from the perspective of teacher. Uh, I definitely enjoy listening to you talk about these issues, and also Randy Weingarten. I, I know that at a national level, uh, the presidents of the unions, you guys are just uniquely aware of the issues, and you speak so eloquently on them, what's going on and ways that we can get things improved. My question slash comment is this. I'm wondering why union leaders on a regional or local level are so timid why we keep giving up our gains, why we keep accepting bad deals, uh, accepting new rules and procedures that are dumped on us, you know, whether it's the teaching profession or other professions where we are represented by unions. How come we just can't get more done locally and regionally? Well, look, I think that that's a really powerful question, and it uh, in many ways goes to the uh, comment I was making in the, la in the last few minutes, the, the, the political system is marinated in money. It's been gerrymandered. And look, at, i gotta, I got to give the Republicans and the Chamber of Commerce credit as much as I hate it. They had a, they've had a plan for years to go back to the state level, 
to put right-wing judges in the position, go back to the state level and turn the state legislators uh, red, uh, get big majorities, drive things down to the states, change the rules of the game, make unions outlawed, do all of those kinds of things. And it's all about taking away the power of ordinary folks to get their share of the productivity that they help create. And, and so, I mean, how the hell could you be attacking teachers because they have a pension plan? I, uh, I, uh, I had a daughter with a learning disability, and I understood that the three most important people in my daughter's life was my wife, myself, and her teacher. And, uh, you know, to, to think that teachers are being scapegoated uh, because they have a pension or they might have some decent health care or they make thirty-five dollars or $40,000 a year, it's just it's craziness. It's about a power struggle. It's about them wanting to privatize the schools. You, you look at it now, you've got this whole business of excess incarceration. Why is there excess incarceration? Why did we have three three strikes in your out so that a 22-year-old kid who got picked up for marijuana three times and happens to be the wrong color is going to spend the rest of his or her life in jail? It's because we privatized the jails, and for them to make product, to, for them to make profit, the jails have got to be full. And it didn't happen all in one bite. You go through all of these things, and they've all been, been designed by the rich and powerful to keep us in line. And I agree with the questioner. We've got to get much more militant. We've got to get much more assertive in our education. We've got to convince our, our ordinary folks that they have to stand up and fight back. I'm a firm believer that the grassroots mobilized can beat big money. But if the grassroots sit on their behind, big money will crush you every time. When, we're going to take uh, Wayne. Hold that oh, thought, sweetie. We're going to sure. take a quick break. We'll let you respond on the other side, and the next caller coming up after that. I think is Mark in San Francisco. Hold on, and other callers. We'll try to get to you before the end of the hour. I'm Leslie Marshall. We're talking with somebody who knows big about labor. He knows about the working class. He knows about having to fight, fight Congress, fight City Hall for the working class. And he knows that those of you, the majority of you listening, that are part of this working class, the middle class shouldn't be making so low a wage that you can't live on it, shouldn't be ignored when you work more than 40 hours a week and aren't paid time and a half overtime. We'll be back with President Leo Girard, President of the United Steelworkers, Vice President of the AFL-CIO. Follow him on Twitter, at USW Blogger. We'll be back right after this. He'll answer more of your questions and respond to some of your comments. Don't go away. I'm Leslie Marshall. He is President Leo Girard, President of the United Steelworkers, Vice President of the AFL-CIO, a former member of the AFL-CIO for many years. Wayne, a caller, had asked a questions which Leo responded to, if you're just tuning in. And Wayne, I know you had one more comment or question uh, to make before we let you go. Oh, yeah. Thank you for letting me follow up. I just wanted to say that uh, locally here, the union that I was involved with for 15 years and the leadership of that union is anything but militant. And I appreciate uh, President Gerard's comments that we do need to be more militant. I, in fact, was uninvited from future meetings 
after paying dues for 14 and a half years, I, I, I guess I made the mistake of showing up at a union meeting. And at that point, I was asked to go. And, you know, it, it was frustrating because I was, still wanted to get involved and still help. And at that point, they were very uh, insistent that I go, as well as the other people who were showing up and not paying. So, you know, if you have any follow-up on that, I appreciate it. But uh, I do agree with uh, the president that we need to get more militant. Well, look, I'm not structured the union, but I, I can speak about my own union. Uh, we we want to have a broad base of participation, so we created an organization called Steelworker Organization of Active Retirees, and we encourage our members and our leadership that when they retire, not to leave the union, but to be active in, as retirees. And we've got about uh, fifty or sixty thousand active retirees in that regard in these regional outfits that we have. And then we created something called the fight back, steelworker fight back, and we've got associate members uh, who pay a nominal fee that isn't really union dues, and they're kept into the struggle, whether it's a collective bargaining struggle, whether it's a legislative struggle, and we've got about 17,000 of those members. And the reason for that is to try to create a broad base for the labor movement because, you know, to be, to be humble about it, not arrogant about it, there's no one progressive organization that can take on the kind of uh, marinated and money political system we have. But if we all come together, all progressive groups, we see what we did on this last TPP trade deal on Fast Track, we shocked the hell out of them. We lost by a narrow margin. They thought it would be a slam dunk. So we all got to be more active. Thank you for the call, Wayne. Appreciate it. Let's take some more. And we go to Mark in San Francisco up next. And Mark is on line. Where are you, buddy? There you are, line three. Hey, Mark, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, I wanted to talk about the fact that raising the minimum wage is, is fine, but it's really a Band-Aid on the problem. The problem is the demise of the unions, and it's been a direct attack by the Republican Party, and they've never really been uh, called out or held accountable for uh, income inequality because, basically, they're the ones that engineered it with the demise of the unions. I couldn't agree more. And uh, they, they, they were helped and abated by that, uh, by uh, the already rich and powerful who have tried to buy every legislator they could. And so that's why we need to stand up for people like Elizabeth Warren, like Sherrod Brown, like Al Franken, like uh, Bernie uh, Sanders. We, we need to stand up with those kind of people. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has been a fighter for workers her whole career. Uh, came from Baltimore. Her father was a mayor in Baltimore, and uh, that's when the steelworkers had 30,000 members in Baltimore. And now we've got lucky if we had 3,000. The demise of the steel industry came about by rotten trade deals and the inability of government to enforce them. So you're right that the weakening and the erosion of the labor movement has added to income inequality. It has diminished the power of working people to have a voice. But if we bring all progressives together, women's groups, anti-poverty groups, civil rights groups, environmental groups, LGBT groups, labor groups, if we all come together and fight for a fair economy, we have a chance of winning. Let's we won't see, win if we sit on our What do you about having a mass organizing day uh, with the fast food workers and other uh, workers over the country to organize on one day a mass organizing campaign um, where they uh, have the recognition cards sent into the NLRB 
uh, and and go after go after corporate America through a mass organizing campaign. I agree, and that's the that's what we're all working on right now in every sector of the economy. Let's go to Dave in St. Louis, line five. Dave, question or comment for President Gerard? Um, I I know that you feel there's income disparity, but you you feel something is to blame other than just corporations, right, Dave? Well, yes, I think the natural evolution of uh, of technology, uh, there's no doubt about it, uh, over the last 50 years has has made the the low the low end of the labor scale not as valuable, and and we have to move as a society. We can't stick our, our heads in the ground and and just demand more money uh, that that technology has uh, provided. Um, so yeah, we've increased our productivity a lot, and uh, not because the people are working harder, but because we've invented machines that that make that productivity um, uh, in, increase. So. You know, we have to evolve with that. We can't just demand more money. And, and I've even been told by some people that uh, technology is a big job killer. Well, that's that's nonsense. That, that's how we've got where we are. You know, the wonderful society and the country that we have has been produced by people constantly inventing new technology. Leo, what do you think about that? Well, I, th- I think it's a it's a pipe dream what he just said. The 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 reality is this: uh, productivity has gone up because of absolutely because of improved technology, imp- improved work methods, uh, improved uh, efficiencies. All of that productivity has gone up. But to say that productivity should go up because we're doing all those things and we're inventing all those things, but workers shouldn't get a share in that property, pro- productivity is just simply baloney. And lots of the productivity gains and a lot of the technology that was done was done through public universities that have been funded by taxpayer dollars. And, again, if you take that piece, then we need to have our kids graduating from university, going to higher education. When you've got a system now where a kid graduates from university, he has the equivalent of a first mortgage on the house, and you, you see people after one after the other that have taken 15, 20 years to pay off their student loans. Look at the Obamas. They paid off their student loan just after the president got elected to the Senate after all that time. So this business that productivity is a be-all and end-all, and we shouldn't be able to share that, the effects of that productivity is just wrong. We ought to be able to share it. And let me just make one other point, point I made earlier. In 19, or excuse me, 2013, corporate profits were the highest they had been in 78 years, wow. the highest in, by the percentage of GDP, yeah. and workers' income, wage income, as a function of the GDP, is the lowest it has been in 65 years. That's and, that, and, that, and that's and and that's we should be allowed to share in that productivity. Absolutely, Leo Gerard, president of the USW, vice president of the AFL-CIO. Follow him on Twitter at USW Blogger. To women who hoped to evade the ticking clock of time, Dr. Frederick Brandt was the most potent drug dealer in the world. And the dealer got high on his own supply. From Imperative Entertainment and the team behind Broken Hearts comes a new series that will challenge everything you know about fame, fortune, and the fear of growing old. I'm Justine Harmon, and this is The Baron of Botox. Botox. 